great. Check, check one. Check, check one. I don't know if this is going to be, um, if people are already listening or not. But uh, check, check one. Um, I'm going live. I'm going live everywhere I am. Everywhere I go, people want to know, who am I? I am the live guy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, just one second. Check one, check two. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages. My name is Tony Visick, and you are watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. We come to you every day at 2 p.m. a Mountain Standard Time, Arizona time, which actually right now is Pacific time, soon to change back to Mountain Standard Time. We are your daily distraction from all the anger, anxiety, weirdness, and hoopla in the world today. The show comes to you on three platforms, ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com, where you can just listen in like an old-timey radio, or on YouTube on the Comedy Schools channel, or right here on Facebook Live. It is uh, on three platforms. It is based around three things, your questions and comments that you place on the aforementioned social media channels, which we then attempt to comment back or answer your questions. Uh, usually some knick-knack, doodad, some piece of weirdness. Uh, hold on. My uh, grandson is here with me today holding the cat off, uh, off screen. You can see him on YouTube. There we go. Uh-huh. Thank you very much, Sullivan. All right. Uh, that was the cat on my head. Um, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> it's hard to think when you have a cat on your head. Um, we also, uh, uh, like I said, we have some sort of thing around here that we show you. Ray could have counted as that today. The cat, uh, the cat has been featured in that section of the show many times when we're showing you some memento or some oddity that we have here in the room here in the home office. And then we recommend one artist or at least one piece of music based on our vast uh, vinyl album or CD collection. Um, also, we always like to mention that if you're ever in the greater Phoenix area, we are now associated with uh, a partner in uh, a bold new venture. Something seemed to go counterintuitive the way the world is going on today. The opening of a brand new comedy night spot. A brand new comedy night spot. In Gilbert, Arizona, and when you think comedy, you think Gilbert. Um, it is called JP's Comedy Club. Its website is com is JP's Comedy, JP'sComedy.com. Uh, who only got four hours sleep last night? This guy. Um, we got a great headliner there this weekend, one Jonathan Gregory. If you want to see something completely different, please go check out Jonathan Gregory. 
uh, that's going on there. We also have workshops going on there. Soon in November, we'll have improv workshops for you, ladies and gentlemen. Be able to learn improv. I like improv. So if you say, if you ever say that, you know, you ever tried stand up and you go, I like improv. Then we're going to have uh, with a long time, legendary, highly respected improv coach here in the greater Phoenix area, Casa Grande, Tucson, uh, one Ken Ferguson. We'll be starting those for you Saturday afternoons in mid-November. And of course, our ongoing stand-up comedy classes. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, what is it, Wednesday? And I don't really have a lot to say today. Uh, I have been running, running, running like the devil. And finally, I think I've ran into a little of a wall, uh, a little worn out. So feeling a little slow today, but that's okay. Um, I don't know. Are you getting just fatigued from everything? You know, are you getting fatigued from everything? Are you getting a little worn out every day you turn on the news? And uh, I, I'm not saying you like Donald Trump. You don't like Donald Trump. I'm on the record about how I feel about the guy in half since the 80s. Um, as I tell people, I didn't like him when he was a Democrat. I don't like him now. But just the audacity of his lies. There's a certain insanity there's a certain insanity in the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, in the middle of a pandemic, which, yes, if you get COVID, uh, the great majority of people don't die. We know that. But they're very, very sick for quite a while, normally. And more people are dying from it than the flu. Well over 200,000 Americans have now passed away from this. And the only way we have to battle it is through hand washing, social distancing, and wearing masks. Those are our only tools against COVID right now. You know, and uh, those aren't great tools, man. That's what we got. And most of us have participated for quite some time in the social distancing aspect of it. Even here at uh, when we have our comedy shows at jpscomedyclub.com, we're only seating less than 50% capacity, keeping people spread apart. We're wiping things down all the time. We're all wearing masks unless we're on stage. We're doing the deal. We're doing the deal. We're going, all right, this is what America has to do right now. We're chipping in. Does it make us uncomfortable? Yes. Does it cost us money? Yes. Does it, is it bothersome? Yes. Does it make me angry sometimes when I realize I have to go through all kinds of extra hoopla to do anything? Yes. But I do it. I do it. And then I turn on my television and there I see one Donald J. Trump with a bunch of people packed together butt cheek to butt cheek whooping and hollering like they're at a monster truck rally while he stands on stage and just lies. And I go, Nobody wears masks. what's that? Nobody wears, and nobody, yeah, that's right. Sullivan says, at, their, at his rallies, no one wears masks. Nobody wears masks. Even my eight-year-old grandson sees that. The kids all know what they got to do. The kids all know. The kids are all right. That's right, Kelly Wilson. We are living on a thin line. There's a thought that if we just put a little extra more into this at the beginning, a lot less people would have died, and we'd be a lot closer to some sort of normal situation right now. If we'd have been able to so severely socially distant that the virus had no place to go, we could have decreased the amount of deaths, the amount of sickness, and be back to a more normal existence right now. As it is right now, it's like some sort of joke. 
Every time we're, we're open. Oh, oh, sorry, we're closed. Hey, we're going to open. Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, <coughs> we're closed. Listen, I don't care about no COVID. We're going to open up. We're going to be free. <coughs> nah, you, know, I, you know what? I'm a big fan of freedom, and I'm a big fan of irresponsibility within the sphere of irresponsibility, not sheer stupidity. So it wears you out a little bit, doesn't it? It just, it just wears you out. And then, of course, there's an election going on. There's a, and I gotta, I'm just going to say this about elections. So I've been involved right now in this particular election. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my share. You know, I'll be out at the polls on uh, election day, even though I've already voted. Uh, I'll be out there handing out uh, little cards for a local city race here for a guy who uh, uh, I would like to see on the city council. I'll be out there doing that. It will. You know, and some people are going, polls are going to be crazy. Well, if they are, they are. You know, I'm not going out there to get crazy. I'm not going out there to be crazy, but I'm going out to participate. But everywhere now, they, they will spend a couple billion dollars on this election. A couple billion dollars will be spent. Uh, and I, I'm probably being conservative here, going all the way from local to legislative district to county to city to state house to Congress to the presidency. A couple billion dollars will be spent. Yet, they're always asking for volunteers. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, for a long time, even for uh, candidates I'd like to, you want to volunteer? I go, no, I'm not going to volunteer. I won't be volunteering. I go, you know, and I do, why not? I go, are you a volunteer? They go, well, no, I'm paid. I go, well, there you go. There you go. But this time around, I did it. So, man, it's just for some people, I don't know if you guys are just going through some fatigue through all of this. You know, the economy's still dicey. Here's the real sad part about the economy right now. I know, it's a comedy show. Why are you talking about sad? Well, I don't know. It's not really a comedy show. It's a daily distraction. I don't know if it's so much of a distraction. But some people have done very well during this time. Who hasn't done well? That part that keeps our soul alive is the one that has really struggled. The part that allows us to co-mingle with other people. The part that is the payoff for the hard work. The vacation has struggled. The night out has struggled. The places where you can engage in camaraderie with people, that struggles. The music business struggles. The theater business struggles. The acting business struggles. The comedy business struggles. Because let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, okay, we all have jobs. That, you know, I kind of came from that generation first that we're going, you know what, my life is my job. And it's my career. My career, my career is everything. Well, you know what, that's kind of gone by the wayside again now. People don't really live totally like that anymore. People realize that there is work and then there is fun. And since work has become, became so anxiety-ridden over the years as your job became a, uh, an engine for social engineering, we're going to be watching a video right now on why the shoes you're wearing may upset someone who's never going to come here. Ah. You go and you go, I, yeah, I did a good job, yes, but you stared at somebody for more than three seconds last Tuesday last at 4 p.m., so we're going to have to let you go because you were eye-fucking. Uh, the social aspect of America become even more important. The gather together, 
football stadiums and basketball stadiums and baseball stadiums and hockey stadiums and and uh, to go out and, and be in large crowds and large groups and to be able to go to listen to bands and records and music and go to bars and restaurants. Gather yeah, when someone's coming into town, go, oh, we know the good rest. We don't go, hey, we got a good uh, project for your work on. We're all digging a ditch. Go, hey, we know a great restaurant. That part of the economy has suffered. I was in L.A. recently. Someone asked me, what's L.A. like right now? I go, well, it breaks my heart because I love that city and I have so many people that I love in that city and I said, right now, Los Angeles like a giant birthday cake that's had the uh, top layer cut off. It's all there. You know what I mean? All the filling's there. Who likes the filling? We love the icing. We like the little doodads on it. We like how pretty it looks. We like the name being sprayed on the birthday cake. We like all of that. The designs, the little people standing up on it. That's all been cut off. The cake is still there. You can still have cake in L.A. There's just no icing and no top. And I can't help but thinking that if there had been a different guy sitting in the big chair in the big house, that the whole trajectory of testing, tracing, treatment, vaccine would have moved along a little quicker and we'd be in a little better shape right now than we actually are. Anyway, it wears me out sometimes, man. I just get a little tired. I get a little tired. And you see craziness beginning. You see people, uh, people's anxiety is, is risen up. You know, um, I've been involved in a little local election here for a board of directors and a homeowner association. And it's a place where I know people and people know me and I like people and I wave at them. But because of Facebook and because of people being home with more free time on their hands and because of anxiety and because of fear, because of paranoia, it has become insanity. The things I read about me on Facebook, hey, anybody knows me goes, yeah, you know, I can see where people would write some shit about you. You're kind of a troublemaker sometime. But uh, part of it I attribute to that, to just this madness that's going on right now. But we do our part, man. We do our part to try to lift that up. That's why uh, people go, how can you tell jokes during a time like this? How can you have comedy during a time like this? Um, we need laughter. We need irreverence. We need silliness. We need goofiness. We need joy. We need wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We need chortle. We need all of it during a time like this to help see us through. So I try to keep my sense of humor intact. Uh, kept my uh, crew, my team, my business, uh, my uh, students, my uh, friends, my cohorts intact. You know, and we are moving forward. Man, I'm so looking forward to tonight when at 6 p.m. I'll be uh, teaching. Uh, last night, I taught an advanced stand-up comedy class live in person at J.P.'s. Comedy Club, 860 East Morning Road, where Jonathan Gregory will be performing this weekend. Uh, tonight, I'll be doing uh, an advanced class on Zoom. So I'll be able to sit home and do it. And that's going to be uh, pretty, pretty darn cool. Um, I have a guest in the uh, right here right now, if he's going to do it right, without knocking over the entire studio. Uh, and if you'll, uh, I believe it's... It's what? Okay. All right. There's someone under my chair. Uh, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. There he is. My, uh, my, my current uh, opponent in my race for the board of directors for the Maricopa Meadows Homeowner Association. It's Jason, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. You may go now.
Fantastic. It's, uh, you know, figuring out how to do Halloween right now. There's this family that lives next door to me, and they are just great people. And they got three of the cutest little kids, three little girls who just talk to me all the time and tell me what's going on with them. I'm out there talking with their mom, talking with them. And they're doing a reverse trick-or-treat. That's her mom says. The girls want to know if they can do a reverse trick-or-treat where instead of you giving them treats, they'll come over and leave something at your door. And I said, you're darn tootin'. I see people going, I don't care, we're having Halloween. Well, first off, Halloween has never been for you, not in modern America. Halloween is not for grown-ups, it's for kids. Halloween comes from fall festivals and from uh, uh, what's uh, commonly known as pagan superstitions, you know. Uh, and it used to be just a fun thing where kids dressed up in cute costumes and their parents thought they were adorable and they went around and got candy. Then somewhere, some girl dressed up like a prostitute one night went to a party and the cops are going to arrest her. She went, it's a costume. We're doing Halloween. I'm not a whore. Yeah, you look like, oh, it's a costume. You know, and then uh, some guy came up with her pimp, and he was in a crushed velvet jacket. He goes, yeah, this is, this is a costume too. And that's how grown-ups dressing up for Halloween started. It was a pimp and a prostitute trying to try to get out of getting busted. Then grown-ups start dressing up. We're going to dress up for Halloween. Really? Really? Okay. So you know, people go, we're having Halloween and we're sending our kids to strangers' houses even though there's a pandemic that 8 million people have uh, been infected by and uh, probably 400,000 people died from by the end of the year. I still want my kid to get his Snickers bar and, and get that. How badly do you want your kid to have an apple with a razor in it? Is this whole push to have kids be able to go out and trick-or-treat on Halloween? Parents hoping their children will get poisoned? I don't know. Maybe. Yes, Jason? Maybe. Maybe. Or they could get scared to death. They could get scared to death. So we're doing Halloween a little different. Okay? It'll be more of a family affair. It's a family affair. So we won't... Uh, maybe we'll start a trend of not sending our kids to strangers' houses while we stand a couple blocks away and see what happens. You ever see that? Like, you see, uh, we, we don't have a big lawn, but we've got a lawn from the front door to the sidewalk, there's a good distance, and parents will bring their kids by. <laughs> and the parents will stand way out on the sidewalk and have the kids come up and knock on the door, and I, I'm going, and I'm looking up and going, what do they want? Do they, what's the, you know, like the parents are watching, go, maybe they'll take them. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll just grab them, pull them in the door, and we'll never see them again. <laughs> and then we can finally go to Fiji for a holiday. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing's always been weird to me. I don't need a holiday to eat too much uh, bad food. I'll tell you that right now. All right, man, let's get to the stuff because I got good stuff today. Uh, I found this at a comic book store, and I'm going to share it with you. The artwork is fantastic. There it is. This is a Charlton comic, okay, and it is called uh, Midnight Tales, okay, and comic books, which uh, still play an important part in American life, okay, they play an important part in American life, all right, uh, played a much bigger uh, role in uh, young boys' life, at least, uh, back in the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And Midnight Tales, while not being one of the major ones, was an important one. So Midnight Tales were the stories of a professor and his uh, extremely attractive niece. And they would uh, then get involved in all sorts of strange goings-on that were macabre and mysterious. And this one has to do with uh, the mummy, and bringing the mummy to life, and uh, somehow interwoven in that, a guy who is a, uh, uh, 
uh, a fake guru living uh, somewhere in Nepal who tricks women to come in there and be in his slave girls, but then he gets caught. So uh, the artwork in Charlton Comics was fantastic. It rivaled anything Marvel or DC was doing at the time. This uh, comic was from the mid-70s. By then, I was not really reading comic books, but it really has the same sort of art that we saw in creepy comics like EC and stuff when I was a little kid. Uh, Charlton Comics is most notable for uh, one major thing in the world of comic books. For decades upon decades, the price of a comic book that looks similar to this was 10 cents. 10 cents. And then in 1962, everybody raised it up to 12 cents. DC, Marvel, everyone 12 cents, except Charlton. They were the last one to do it. They were the last one to do it. The guy who created Spider-Man, originally uh, Steve Ditko, one of the creators, originally worked for Charlton Comics. So if you just want to look them up, man, on the, um, on the internet, you know, uh, it's just kind of cool to look back. And it really gives you a look into America, not only, not only because of the comic books. And this comic followed what was the, uh, the comic book code, which was really a strict comic book code about what could and couldn't be uh, put in a comic book. So they're always bumping up against that. They're always bumping up against, uh, hold on, I got something here. If I can find it, I will read to you about this. Um, I might have lost it. Here we go. Okay. Uh, this really, uh, uh, this is what critic Mark Andrews said about Charles, about Midnight Tales and Charlton Comics. Old dude in his sexy neats traipses across the countryside, bumping into oddball characters who invariably have a story to tell. Sadly, since Charlton didn't want to do anything that offended your average nine-year-old, that's the average age of a comic book reader, you could feel this book fighting against the uber-restrictive comics code. Kind of sad, really. What is good, however, are the artists in this book. Equal, easily the equal of anyone working at Marvel or DC at the time. Okay, you got Wayne Howard, probably the most deaf practitioner of the Wally World School ever. So, if you're looking for offbeat, you're looking for different, if, you've, uh, if you're not using drugs and alcohol, <laughs> or driving 120 miles an hour, and you're still looking for something strange, hold on, I got a hand up over here. We're getting a hand up. Then I uh, check out Charter Comics. Just look them up. The artwork on it is just fantastic. Sullivan, did you have a question or comment? Who's Sullivan? Who's Sullivan? Okay, good. All right. Uh, um, yes, back, Jason. Back in my day, um, when we didn't have comic books. Yeah. When you did have comic books. Well, we didn't. Yes. You didn't have comic books. Um, All right. All right, let's go on to the music. We were just getting some information here from Jason. You just killed people for entertainment. You just did what? You just killed people for entertainment. Yeah, just killed. That wasn't me. There's a lot of that still goes on. We're going to edit that part out. <laughs> we just killed people for entertainment. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on to uh, the music, shall we? Uh, there, you know what? You saw my finger up there like that? My stockbroker was calling me. That's right, a guy looks like me has a stockbroker. Here's the music we're going to talk about today. We're working with a CD today, not an album. We're going with a CD today. And that uh, CD is a CD that opened up a whole new world of music for me. And it's called Last Chance for a Thousand Years, Dwight Yoakam's Greatest Hits from the 90s. Now, if you don't know Dwight Yoakam, I'm telling you, you are missing out. 
Dwight Yoakam is a fascinating character in the history of American music. Uh, Kentucky boy, uh, seemed to do well. I think he went to college. You know, he didn't have a lot of privation in his life, but many around him did. Went to Nashville to be a singer-songwriter. Didn't work out. And then inexplicably, and this is the part that never made any sense to me. I'm not saying that makes no sense. Never made any sense. He was a country singer, and it didn't work out in Nashville, so he decided to move to Los Angeles. Now, when you think country music, you don't think Los Angeles. And even beyond that, when he moved to Nashville, he wanted to play a hillbilly sound, the stuff that his dad listened to when he was a kid on an old-time radio or in a uh, uh, 1955 Dodge, you know? That's what he wanted to play, stuff that Levy Frizzell did, stuff like that. And they weren't buying it in Nashville because it was all that urban cowboy stuff. It was all like, looking for love in all the wrong places. It was that. It was Eddie Rabbit. That's what was going on in Nashville. So he was too much of a rube for Nashville and thinks, well, then I guess I'll just move to Los Angeles. But somehow it worked because what he brought on the stage was an excitement and an energy and that danger that music can bring sometime to the rock and roll stage. He's working with X. He's working with the Blasters. During the rise of, or rise of the uh, very kind of unique L.A. punk scene. He's working on stages with them and he's walking out in a nudie suit with a cowboy hat with a swagger and a sneer and playing music. And he said, I was amazed myself. People go, well, no, he's, he's, I'm playing. He goes, I'm playing rock and roll clubs and they're loving it. And not, we weren't playing rock and roll. We were playing hillbilly music. And he goes, I guess it was the energy. The energy was stunning. Also, he had come across a guy named uh, Paul Anderson, I believe, who was a brilliant guitarist. Dwight Yoakam hired Paul Anderson to be his guitarist. Dwight Yoakam then promptly moved into Paul Anderson's laundry room. And these guys damn near starved as they were putting together and they talked their drummer into putting up money for their first self-produced EP, Guitars and Cadillacs. Then they went to New York and played someplace and people were singing along to the songs. That's what Paul Anderson said. I knew, I knew that we were, gonna, we were now going to make a living. People knew who we were. Yes, Sullivan? What's that? I think Jason is gone, but after... Um, Jason is gone. But after you, do, you talk about that, yeah. you should probably um, tell them how um, comic books started out. They probably know, but I mean, it'll still be... We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll talk about how comic books started, okay? Yeah. All right, excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, Paul Anderson was an important part of... Uh, we'll go back to that right now. Paul Anderson was an important part of the Dwight Yoakam sound. Some people say without Paul Anderson, there'd be no Dwight Yoakam. He had Paul Anderson from Detroit, Paul, uh, Dwight Yoakam from Kentucky. They somehow put something together. I'm trying to keep my equipment from falling apart here. And it created a unique sound. Dwight Yoakam falls in that category of singer-songwriter, to me, similar to Emmy Lou Harris, possibly Linda Ronstadt, where they both, all three of them cover a lot of other people's music. Uh, Emmy Lou and Linda don't write their, didn't write their own songs. Dwight certainly did, but covered a lot of the people's music. But every cover they do is either better or unique in a way that it's enjoyed equally, uh, same as the original. Just stunningly good stuff from Dwight Yoakam. 
I'm a big Dwight Yoakam fan. He has his own channel on Sirius Radio. If you ever got it, uh, I encourage you to listen to it. The song we're going to recommend today, uh, not one of his first big hits, Streets of Bakersfield. Uh, the song we're going to recommend today that we think will get you to listen to him and dig him a little more is going to be a cover, okay? Um, I'm looking to see if I got it here on his cover of Suspicious Minds. And I know that's bold because there's always an argument. What was the better version of Suspicious Minds? Elvis Presley, Waylon Jennings, Fine Young Cannibals. I'm going to put forward a gutsy statement and say that Dwight Yoakam's version of Suspicious Minds is clearly the best. You get to hear that guitar sound. You get to see here what these guys, Dwight and his brand, band, brought to a record. Uh, and you'll be able to hear that energy and excitement that he brought to everything where he put his own twist on it. So Suspicious Minds by Dwight Yoakam is the song we're going to recommend today. And that's all for today. We're going to see you tomorrow one more time at 2 p.m. And you know, we're going to talk about the origin of comic books because it was suggested by my uh, grandson. So we will. See you tomorrow at 2 p.m. You've been watching Living on a Thin Line. Bye-bye. I have a, a limited edition comic book. Mm-hmm. That I'm making right now. Cool. Are you still on? Nope, we're off. Are you? Yep, you're off. Yeah. Um, so I didn't come by.